All right, well, if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn to Romans chapter 4. And um, if you have not been with us the past few weeks, just as a, as a quick refresher, uh, Paul is writing to Rome, um, and he is, uh, he's writing to Christians that need um, hope. There, you know, there's some persecution going on, but uh, a lot of what he's talking about and what we, where we've been the past probably few months is within the church, there is a group of kind of churchy people, <laughs> uh, and they would be seen as the Jews. Um, and they have come to know Christ, but they also think it's Christ uh, and some stuff. We know the ways of the church. Um, we're kind of special. We grew up in this way. And then there's this other group that... Um, They've just heard about Jesus for the very first time. And when, when in Rome, they did whatever the Romans did. And so they come in, and they come in uh, to this place with a past. Maybe some of you have a past, and you, weren't, you didn't grow up around the church, and you're thinking, okay, so when I actually get into a church, do we kind of tear out? Do we say, okay, this is where front, or first, second, third row Christians sit. This is where back row Christians sit. I mean, this is the way it really works. I mean, I'm sure no one would ever admit to that, right? But, I mean, come on, what, what is it? And in order to understand uh, this particular passage, I think we just, real quick, I want us to go back to the beginning of the Bible where God should have killed Adam and Eve when they sinned. And he had grace on them and said, okay, no, I'm not going to kill you, though that was the, you know, the payment. Um, I'm going to give you grace and I actually will redeem the world and I will do it my way. And so he kind of made a covenant uh, with, with Adam there, and then we see the next major figure was Noah. And he said, I need to kind of purify the world, and he sends the flood. And so he kind of sets up this covenant with Noah. And then Noah's three sons were uh, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Well, in the genealogy in, in Genesis chapter 11, it starts with Shem. That's where you get the term a Semite, right? Someone who's anti-Semitic, they would be anti-Shem, because from the line of Shem came Father Abraham. So if you read Genesis, the end of Genesis 11, it would start with Shem, and there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight generations before you get to Terah, and Terah was Abraham's father. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God says, you know what, I'm going to covenant with uh, this guy named Abram, who his name was changed to Abraham. And this is the guy, right? There's nothing good about Abraham. There's nothing special about Abraham, but he's my guy. That's what God said. And through him, I'm going to change the world. And so here's what he said to Abraham. He said, look up in the sky. See all those stars? Think your descendants. That's how, how plentiful they'll be. Go to Clearwater Beach. Look at the sands. That's how plentiful your descendants will be. I promise you, your, um, your seed will, it will change the world. And I will give you the land of Israel back. I will, you will go into, or you will take the land of Israel, the, the, the promised land, and I will bless you. So you got three things, the land, the seed, and this general blessing. And any, any person through Abraham, right, got that. Any, anybody in his line. Now, that was Genesis 12. In Genesis 17, God said, I need to actually make a mark on your body to distinguish you from the rest of the world. This will distinguish you, and this, will, this is so the world knows that you are my people. I'm going to cut a covenant with you, so we're going to establish circumcision. 
And that's where we are, essentially. That's what Paul is talking about when he's talking about Abraham. Abraham received the calling of God and the, the blessing of God. And he said, I'm gonna, you're going to take the land, your seed, and I will give you a blessing. Please be circumcised. Now, this date's important. 2000 B.C. That's when Abraham lived. That's important, right? 2000 B.C. That's when he was alive. And Paul is talking to a church full of Jews that knew a ton about Father Abraham and a lot of Gentiles. And so here, Paul, we we finished last week with Paul talking about blessed are those that are forgiven. And uh, we kind of talked about King David a little bit. And here's a question that was being asked in the church. And it kind of had regard to circumcision or its importance or maybe even more than that. Where is circumcision in the order of things in a regular church? Okay, so here we go. This is Paul <clears throat> writing to this church, trying to mature them and, and give them some answers. Is this blessedness, or think salvation, is the salvation only for the circumcised? That would be a Jew, right? Or also for the uncircumcised, a Gentile. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstance was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or um, before? That's the question. So did he get credit for being righteous once you said, in, uh, once God, you told him in Genesis 17, get circumcised, uh, you and your family. Was it after that that he got the credit? The deposit went into his account? And the, here's the answer. Um, it was not after, no, it was, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, and this is a big deal, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. So what did he just say there? You're talking about Father Abraham, and he says, all you Gentiles who aren't circumcised, but you have faith, who's your daddy? Abraham's your daddy. Abraham's your daddy, too. Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, he's, he's your daddy. He's the father. Wait, I thought he was just for the Shemites, or the Semites, right? Or, or the Jews, or the Hebrews. I thought it was just that. No, you Gentile, right? He is your daddy. And he then also... And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So what is he saying here? He's Gentiles, if you have faith in in Jesus, he's your daddy. And Jew, if you have faith, and circumcision is is not an add-on to faith. If you had true faith in Jesus, Abraham's your daddy too. But here's the problem, is that you can be in the church a long time. You could be a Jew growing up knowing the Torah and not be a Christian. You can come to church all the time, know all the right, do all the things, get baptized, go to communicants class, and you cannot be a Christian. You are in the same category as as the hedon of hedonists, right? Uh, And... And Paul is trying to say, look, here is what, here is the, the demarcation line, right? 
Here, here it is. Faith. It's all about faith. You can talk about the law, how much Bible you know. You can talk about did you get baptized or did you get circumcised? You can use those things. But when it comes down to it, to possess the revelation of God is of no ultimate importance apart from what? The walk of faith. And that's what I want to ask you. Do you have faith? Because in Genesis 15, 6, Abraham had faith. Circumcision happened in Genesis 17. Abraham had faith. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Is it real? Because you can look a certain way. You know, uh, yesterday uh, I uh, took my son to um, uh, IMG Academy, which is in Bradenton, right? And it's a sports academy. It's unbelievable, right? And they have these six, I mean, I mean, just immaculately manicured baseball diamonds and you know it just feels like you know I don't know it just it just it's all right everything's okay you know just beautiful green grass perfect dirt and uh every you know everybody's singing I don't know zippity doodah it felt like you know you just walk there and you're just like wow and you look across and they had like three or four football fields that were perfect and then then right next to that they had this huge field a field house uh, where, where the basketball players play. And we found out it cost uh, $68,000 a year to send your kid there. Right? I mean, they live there, so, I mean, but you, it's still $68,000. Um, so we can't afford that, just so you know. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and then, you know, they, they, you know all these, they got their uniforms on, and, you know, you're just like, wow, man, this is something. I mean, there's a a, there's like a Gatorade Institute building. <laughs> and then there's, you know, multiple guys at the gate making sure that you, when you get in there, you're just like, okay, this is, you know, I mean, it's still at some level you're thinking, okay, this is all for 14-year-old boys, you know, 13-year-old boys. Uh, but, yeah. Um, and so when the game began to start, you realize, you know what? Ultimately, what it's about, or what, what, what is this about? You know, it's about hitting a ball. You know, it's about throwing a ball and hitting a ball. It doesn't really matter what you wear. It matters, hey, what does it mean to play the game of baseball? You can look a certain way. You can have all the right stuff. But when it comes down to it, hey, I mean, where are you baseball-wise? Because that's what's going to be seen. And Paul is saying, look, hey, it can get flowery around Judaism and being Jewish. And there's lots of stuff and pageantry around it. But ultimately, your father, your daddy, Abraham, his faith was credited to him as righteousness. And anybody who walks through that door, it's their faith that matters. And so when we think about what Paul is trying to tell a church that's obviously somewhat divided, what is he trying to get um, what is he trying to communicate to us? I mean, what, why would, if we believe that the Bible is timeless and pierces us and we read this stuff and we believe it's the, it's the breathed word of God, okay, what do we need to hear? Verse 13. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, 
just want to stop there for a second. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offering received the promise. So in other words, Moses was, uh, the, the Ten Commandments came approximately, Mount Sinai happened 1446 B.C. Abraham, 2000 B.C. So this is five, about 500-ish years later, they actually get the law. So here's what Abraham could, could kind of use as his righteousness. Circumcision, right? The sign of God. And then 500 years later, the Jews get this other gift, and it's the law of God. But Abraham had no idea what the Ten Commandments were. He had no idea. He had no idea you weren't supposed to steal, commit adultery. He had no idea that this was written in God's Word, because he was 500 years before Moses received the law. But when you look at this passage, and Paul says, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise. Well, true, he lived way before, but also... What is the law, essentially? It's a how-to manual. And what does God say to us? He says this, uh, read the manual. It's the Bible. It's the law. Here's how you're supposed to live. We've talked about this before. It's 613 laws. If you want to distill those down to 10, if you want to distill the 10 down to 2, Jesus said. And so you can't mess up. Here's the the handbook. Here's the manual. Uh, You can't break any of this. You know, uh, Galatians 5. Cursed is the man or woman that, you know, breaks any of the law of God. Cursed is that person. And so Abraham had to realize that it was not, or anybody who read this afterwards um, had to realize that it wasn't through the law of God, but rather what? It was through the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith in what? What, I mean, how was Abraham saved? Jesus hadn't come. How was he saved? He had to believe what? He had to believe that the God who said, you will have descendants, the God who said, you're going to take Canaan, the God who said, you're going to be blessed, was not lying. Do you believe God when he gives you a promise? Because fundamentally, I think that is core to what our identity is. Do you believe God is worthy of your faith? In other words, that he is faithful. Because God said, what am I going to do? I am going to actually um, change the world through you. In fact, it says here that, Abraham, you would be an heir of the entire world. What is he saying there? He's saying, look, I didn't want Adam and Eve to sin. And here's what I, you know, there's two commandments before sin came into the world to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply, right? Have a ton of kids. I did that. I had four. I don't need to do that anymore, right? None doing that, right? And the second thing was this. Um, subdue the world. Take, right? Take the world and cultivate it. So take Eden, and then ultimately you see God who said, take all of the world and cultivate it. Because you know what our inheritance is? The world. Now some people think, no, no, Frank, when we die, we're just going to go to heaven. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says when we die, right, it says, when, when Jesus comes back, he is going to bring heaven down to earth. So that's why we use the term, there's the new heavens and the new earth. You are going to inherit, what, the world. And through you, Abraham, I want to change the world. I don't want to just be uh, a church that does this, that just says, hey, get, everybody get into the Christian lifeboat and get saved. That's important. Of course it is. But I want you to live. I mean, we're not just stalling. Life isn't about stalling. It's like if you're a doctor, heal, right? If you're a a lawyer, bring justice. 
If you're a business person that's starting you know, in, in certain industry, bring goodwill and commerce to that. If you're a, a mother, a stay-at-home mom, or a stay-at-home dad, bring you know, shalom to your house. Bring heaven down to earth. Because we are going to live on the earth with the heavens perfecting it. And he's saying, Abraham, how did that come? And, I mean, what, what was it? For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. So if you were to depend on your ability to follow that how-to manual, you're done. One time you mess up, you're done. And so when Paul is trying to say, hey, look, this has to be... um, it has to be by faith because if, if it's, it is by law, if the law were to be a defining characteristic of God's people, if we're a church and we're about rules that you have to follow to make sure God's happy with you, Paul's saying God would quit. Uh, wait, yeah, would, would, that's supposed to be a different word there. Well, quite simply, uh, you know, like when you're seeing something, I thought that said Quiet. Yeah, God would quiet simply, what? What's going on What I do? No, God would quite simply not have a peace. He wouldn't have anybody. If, if the law were to be the characteristic, no one in this room would be God's people. You couldn't be in that group. And that's what, uh, that's what Paul is saying. You cannot define yourself by what you do, right? It's, it's what? It's where you place your faith. Because when you think about faith. Here, here's what Paul says, uh, verse 16, says this. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, the Jewish Christians, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of all. As it is written, like he said, I have made you, Abraham, a father of many nations. Abraham was never meant to be simply from one nation. And sometimes we think that. In fact, if you have that mindset, think of it historically. That will ruin whole epochs, era. If you think, hey, we are the chosen nation. We are the elite, right? And um, we are better. He says, you know, you can't live that way. The promise comes by faith so that me may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. Verse, end of verse 17. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Here's the problem. He is 100 years old. God said to him, Abraham, you're going to be my father. Imagine you're 100, right? Right? Your time has passed. We don't know how old Sarah was. Here's Rembrandt's picture of when the angel comes with the three visitors, right? And I think this is Genesis 18. And the angel says to Abraham, you are going to be a father of many nations. You are going to have a child. And didn't, if you look up in the far uh, right kind of corner, 
Um, there is Sarah, and she's kind of eavesdropping in on this conversation. And you know what the Bible says she does after that? She chuckles. <laughs> like, I'm 98. My boy here's a hundo, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, for real, <laughs> right? I mean, it is obvious. Let's just do basic science. Things don't work the way they worked. It just is not going to happen. Because, you know, this is the way things work. God, you're going to, you know, you have uh, given us this situation in our life. And if God promises to never leave you or never, and never forsake you, and he promises to do um, what he says he will do every time, because God cannot lie. God cannot give you an empty promise. God cannot give Abraham an empty promise. So, what is... Abraham and Sarah have to do. They have to take human reason, which would say, there's no way we're having kids. And you got to put that right against the God of the universe that says, no, through you, I am going to change the world. Stars in the sky, sands on the seashore. Have you been there or maybe you're there right now? Where if you walk by sight, if you walk with your eyes and you say, I'm going to live by what I see, You know, what Sarah and Abraham saw, hey. But what God said is the truest thing um, required faith. And my question to you is, how much faith do you have? Why would God bring you here this morning to do this? Stars in the sky, sand on the seashore. That's what your family is going to be like. And... Once you have Isaac, Abraham realized, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that this gift isn't the point of your life. And so in Genesis 22, he says to Abraham, on a whole different level, let's go to the next picture. This is Isaac. And he says to Abraham, now I just want to make sure that you're not using me as a, as a, as a vending machine, right? I want to make sure that the point, um, and, it's, and don't, don't hear me wrong uh, I know if, if you've gone through not being able to have a child, I, that, that's, a, that's a very, very uh, difficult path, and uh, that's not. But at the same time, if that's the point of your life, if that is it, right? And so for, for Abraham, for him to say, you know, God to say to him, hey, I want you to take what is probably your most prized possession, I want you to take it up on top of a mountain, and I just want to make sure you will kill that for me. Because I, I need your heart. If you have faith in me and you know that I will not hurt you, right? I will not ultimately harm you. Now, that doesn't mean you won't go through pain and suffering, but the plan I have for your life, John and Jane Doe, is to prosper you. It says, Jeremiah says that. And plans that I have, I will never harm you, but I will, I will, it will be good and and you will be grown and matured. I mean, what voice do you listen to? And unbelievably, I mean, it's like Abraham walked around and with his eyes closed and he said, I'm walking by faith. And he takes his son up and then this is Rembrandt's famous picture of, of him with the knife. Let's go to the next slide. And there's the knife and he puts him on the altar and he says, okay, God, you know, I'll do it. If this is what you want, if you want my most pride possession, my son, I don't have anything, you have everything. I mean, what a picture. And he lifts the knife up, and then all of a sudden God sends an angel and says, no. 
There's a ram in the thicket there. You, you kill the ram. You are walking by faith, Abraham. The way in which, right, the way in which you are walking is, is this kind of closed eye, eye life. And so it begins to describe this faith in verse 19. It says, Abraham, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. I mean, think about this. Is this not the reversal of what he just told us in Romans chapter 1? I mean, what did Romans chapter 1 tell us about the state of affairs in the world? Humans dishonor their bodies. That's what sexually, humans dishonor their bodies. And they go and they have multiple partners. And then, you know, it says later on in 26, you know, they're, they're turning away from God's design, scriptures say, into same-sex relationships was not my design. And what is he doing here? Abraham and Sarah, what are they doing? A 99-year-old and a 100-year-old, they're turning their trust to God's promise. And what happens there? new life comes, right? I mean, the very same thing that God, you know, what, what, what could God do? God's creative power says in, in the book of Psalms, ex nihilo, out of nothing, what did God do? He spoke and it was. He spoke and it was. And Abraham and Sarah, they put their trust in him and what Sarah thought could never happen, God brought into existence. And ironically, He's going to reverse the curse of Genesis 1. He's going to say, okay, now through this, these two, who you never thought possible, so it's only got to be me, I'm going to tell them to be fruitful and multiply. I'm going to make sure it happens this time. This time, this time it's actually going to work. I'm going to reverse what Adam and Eve messed up. And so God was calling Abraham, Israel, right, to undo the sin of the human race. God is a God of new hope of new fruitfulness, right? He is a God of new starts, of a fresh creation. That's what he's, part of what he is showing here. When we understand that and we live that out, you know what? What happens when you begin to walk by faith? Because faith is this, is the confidence that God can't violate any of his promises. That if God tells you something by, by the nature of who he is, he cannot violate it. It'd be like telling a fish to talk. A fish cannot talk. It is not in his character and in his nature to talk. You cannot tell a fish to talk. And you can't, or God cannot violate what? A promise. So, this is why. This is why. That faith, that confidence that God can't violate what he already said would happen, that is why it was then credited to Abraham as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us. To whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The massive human evil, which had obviously disfigured the world, and we all experience that all the time, in the cross was dealt with, right? And uh, it, it, it was deserving of condemnation. And that's exactly what it got in the cross. 
but he was raised because of our justification, our being declared in the right, our being affirmed as members of the covenant. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, God was not only saying he, was, he really was and is my son, but also all who believe, you're my sons and you're my daughters. If you believe that, I think your life will be changed. If, if you truly have confidence Faith is the confidence that God can't violate any of his promises. So, what does that mean? That means that, hey, Abraham, it's going to happen. And so here we are in 2018. What do we know? God started speaking through, through um, uh, Abraham and then Moses, right? And then it was David. And then this new covenant talk, like, there's someone coming. And Isaiah said, hey, there's going to be a virgin, right? And, you know, she will be with a child. The government be upon his shoulders, and they're calling wonderful counsel of the mighty God, right? That's going to happen. And we look back, and what do we know? God did not violate any of his promises. He was completely faithful. And when you have peace of mind, this, this, you know, this story of redemption that we have, now we don't have, you know, up until when Jesus comes back. But what we know now is God has never violated any of his promises. We know that. And when you think about your own life, I, I think, Abraham, do you share in that type of faith? I mean, confidence, one to ten, that God won't, make, that God won't break promises. One to ten, what do you got for, for God? How faithful do you think God is? Is he a God of his word? Because to the extent that we believe that God keeps his word, I tell you what, we begin to change. Because when we understand that we're justified by his faithfulness, we've already talked about a couple of these things. What are we not going to do anymore? Well, at least we do a lot less. We don't brag. You know, we don't have swag. I don't know why I wrote that word, but yeah. Our righteousness is what? It's credited. It's received. What do you know when someone has, you know, someone got the grade for you? There's a humility there, but you receive all the benefits of that. And that's your, only, you know, that, that's your only hope. What is that like in the kitchen talking to your wife when all of a sudden that humbles you? You don't have to get the last word in anymore. How do you father knowing that, man, my only hope, I'm a knucklehead. And my only hope is what Jesus did for me. So I'm a humble father. I'm not a jerk father, right? I mean, what, what does that look like? I mean, you don't have to brag. You don't have to have this moxie. You don't have to have this fake confidence, right? That's what Paul is telling us. We see here in verse 20. What, what else do we know? We've already talked about this. Is that we also don't have to flinch. And some of you flinch a lot. In relationships, you flinch. And you cringe. And you know if you're the more passive one, you're waiting for it. You're waiting for that, that person and you're just waiting for them to say something bad about you. And you live in this insecurity. And you're just waiting for them, and that defines you. And so your life becomes about flinching and about cringing, right? Or maybe you have an overbearing father who's too much, right? And you just live the life of flinching. And what it says here is, look what he has done for you. That you know that your sins are completely uh, covered. So you don't have to flinch anymore as a wife or as a husband. You don't have to flinch as a son or a daughter. It means you are confident. I am 
perfect in Christ, right? The old is gone, the new has come. I can be different. I can be humble and confident because the two, I mean, those are two where normally this is a humble but kind of flinching person. They're not that secure. Or, man, they are a megalomaniac, narcissist, tyrant that lean this way. And, you know, the gospel, what, what our, our vindication, our righteousness says you don't have to do that anymore. Verses 12 through 17, you know what it says? It says, you have a full identity and you have great purpose and you have an understanding of what you're doing in the world. Have a beer with somebody in this community that doesn't know Jesus and just ask them their purpose. I mean, they may come up with some plastic. They don't. They stutter and stammer and you ask them, no, really, why are you here? What is it? And they don't have a true identity. They don't know why they are here. What else do we receive? We receive complete assurance. Because if you and I inherit the earth, here's the big deal. You're never going to miss out on anything. And a lot of us live life to try to get all these different things. We need to experience all these different things. And that's my biggest fear of missing out. But here, if, we, if you inherit the world, either now or one day when you know, everything's done, you won't miss out on anything. In your marriage, you will not miss out on anything. You will not miss out on anything monetarily. You will not miss out on any family dynamic that you want to have that you're trying to create in your home and it just isn't working right now. And you think, oh my goodness, I just want to experience that unity of a family. I want to play a family game and, you know, play Pictionary together and, you know, order a pizza and just, and we can't do that. I try all the time and I'm going to miss out. My kids are about to leave. You won't. I won't. What does that allow us to do? It allows our shoulders to drop and for us to breathe. Because here's what we know, and I want you to hear these. These are the promises. I'm just going to give you five. And I want you to just let, let this wave over you. Because if faith is the belief that God will not violate any of his promises, here are five that you need to hear, that I need to hear. One is that God promises to love you unconditionally. Our greatest need is to be loved. And here's the love described in Romans 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. That love claims you by faith. Wherever you are feeling unloved right now drink that you need to take a drink man because that is a promise that god loves you and you may not seeing it you may not be feeling it but your reality the reality the eternal god reality is bigger than your feelings and i got to get through that that through my uh, thick skull (laughs) this is going to be weird um and that is the truth second is that god promises when you know him, that you are redeemed and that you have an eternal home in heaven. Do you know, the psalmist says this, and I've read this at a number of funerals. The Lord watches over you. 
The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Last night at 2 a.m., God was watching over you. God was watching over all of your kids, all of your parents. He promises to do that. He is your shade. And if you know that, and that you are redeemed, here he also says that if I've started a work in you, I will be faithful to complete it, Philippians 1.6. That is a promise. God cannot violate his words. God, he, he, he would cease to, to function as God. Third, that God has formed you and knows you intimately. He promises to know you intimately. For it was you, David is saying this to God, who formed my in, inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. But I I love, I mean, that means he knows every part of your body. As awkward as that is going to make you feel. And he loves it. And he knows every part of your emotional soul and he loves it. And it's gorgeous. And he is redeeming you and he watches over you. And this means that my existence and your existence is no mistake. And some days you just don't think that. But if he is who he said he was and, he, and his promises are true, that God cannot make any wrong moves. And when he created you, that was not a, a wrong move. You need to hear that. I need to hear that. Here's God's promise for your life. This is fourth. And I've already mentioned this, but I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Do you believe that? That's God's promise. He cannot break his word. He is faithful. Do you believe God, right, cannot violate his character? So he wouldn't say something that's empty. We can do that. You know the people who give you empty promises all the, all the time, but he, he will not. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. This is Psalm 103. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He doesn't promise to do it this side of your, quote, physical death. He doesn't promise that. But he promises, hey, that, hey, overall, all of this stuff, you will, you will be completely whole one day. Last thing. If you're facing a specific uphill battle right now he promises i can do all things through christ who gives me strength god will never call you to a place and leave you unattended he won't he will not do that he promises not to and some of you are nervous because you think i i I think i'm going there i think i'm supposed to go there but i feel like i'm just going to be left and i'm going to be isolated and that is that is a lie from the pit of hell I mean, there's a reason why, you know, Satan is referred to as the great deceiver. I mean, he's trying to fool us. He's trying to fool me. His favor, Psalm 5 says, will surround you like a shield. You have an insurmountable ally in our God. For if God is with you, right, who can be against you? This is a a promise-keeping God. And... Abraham understood it was faith in God's character and his faithfulness 
that would change him. And it did. And here they came. And from, right, from, from, from the entire line, hey, I'm going I'm to use you, right? And I'm going I'm to change the world. And Jesus came from him. And he died on the cross. And here we are. You know, I, I'm so excited because some of you know this. I've never been, um, I've never been to the Holy Lands. But next, sat, next Sunday, my professor from RTS, Richard Pratt, has taken a group from, uh, to do this trip. Um, and we're going to go, we're going to fly to Rome and we're going to take a boat and we're going to go to Crete and that's where Paul was shipwrecked after he'd been, in, after he'd been arrested and he was shipwrecked there, right? And we're going to do this tour there and then we're going to go to northern Israel and southern Israel, go over to Athens, see part of where Asia Minor, where he planted a bunch of these trips or a bunch of the, the churches. Um, but just to think that, you know, that was, you know, Paul was born in, what, 5 AD? And God used him and saved him on the road to Damascus. And then he, you know, he used Peter and Paul. And he used John and James. He used a, I mean, a turncoat. He used, you know, a doubter. He used all these, you know, tax collector, fishermen, whatever. And we are here today because of that. We are here today because it wasn't in what they did. It was the message that they, that they, that they gave. And, um, you know, what does that mean for us to believe in these promises? That, you know, I'm going to start my work, he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of Hades, right, will not prevail. Um, we're a part of the greatest story ever told. And that's what we've just read, part of it. Um, what does this do to your heart? How, how does a God who doesn't give you empty promises and promises to have you and to hold you and to save you and then to sanctify you and then ultimately to glorify you, what does that, I think we need to allow that to soak in. Because I tell you what, I think we change. I think, you know, Paul is calling this church at Rome to mature and I know God's calling Westtown to mature. We're a young church, but we're not a new church anymore. And God wants us, I mean, the elders, the session, we've talked about it. The rest of the leadership talked about, okay, what does God want for us? We're in a thick book right now. The thickest, I think, of, in all of the Bible. And there's all these different layers of understanding the gift of grace that God's given us. But we have to be willing to open our hearts, right, and our minds, and our wills to what God would have for us. God, Abraham had to decide, I'm not going to, believe that my 99-year-old wife and my 100-year-old body could conceive a child. And it's going to have to be a miracle. Over um, what he saw every day. And I think some of you, and me included, what does it mean to stay uncomfortable? To, to, to walk by faith? Because you know, man, when you first knew Christ, you were sharing it all the time. I mean, we're in God's word, we're drinking it up, and then something happens, right? And, and we just get soft, right? We don't keep pushing ourselves. I, my, um, a friend of mine was telling me about how muscles grow, and he says, you know, in order, in order to, to, to uh, grow muscle, you have to break muscle. You have to have muscle experience some kind of resistance, right? And then there's a, scientific cytokinolines or something, are, are released, which tells your, uh, your immune system, come and fix this 
torn muscle, like this, this muscle that's broken. And once that happens, it begins to grow. But you need constant resistance, right? You need to constantly exercise. And I think it's the same thing, right? Hey, we don't have a building. Hey, we want to establish, we want to establish a youth group, or, or we want to establish this, and we want to have a building, and we want to do this, and we do a preschool, or we want to, you know, and all of a sudden, but now we got a sign, so we made it anyway, right? Right? So, you know, I'm kidding. But I think, man, this is where Abraham and these titans of the faith, they, they did not settle. And I just don't want us to settle. I don't want us to become a, you know, middle to upper middle class, fat and happy church. I just think, no, that's, that's, that's not the type of faith. It's the type of faith that's willing to take our sons to the top of a mountain and say, okay, it's yours, you know, to believe that God can create a body or a new life in a dead womb. Uh, it's, it's the type of faith that believes that, you know, a guy can be in a grave for three days and, and rise again. That's what he wants for us. Let's pray and ask God to work this. Father God, I know we've gone a little longer today, um, but I know your word is so important to get into our bones. Um, Father, I think about these um, two, three, four-year-olds that were up here singing, and I'm reminded that (laughs) I'm sure if you told them that a 99-year-old and a 100-year-old could have a baby, they would think, yeah, well, you're God. I believe you, and we're here older and, quote, more mature, and we would just, we would be so cynical. God, fill us with faith. May we be faith-filled. May the confidence that we have in your character supersede, overwhelm anything. And then, God, change us. Change us in our homes. Change us at work, God. May we tell those that don't know you this wonderful story, God, that we get to be a part of in your name. Amen.